Welcome to episode 51 of the Two on Three podcast, where two of your friends take on three topics in 30 minutes. I'm Ty, and you can find me fortifying my forces in Oceania at SEATJK. And with me, as always, is Chris. Where do you take unnecessary risks in public, Chris? I, uh, f- from Alaska to Kamchatka is where my action, my, my action happens. Yeah, you fortify that, that western... <laughs> Western holding position. <laughs> because I know to never fight a land war in Asia. That's right. However, if you can hang if you can if you can control the crossing between Alaska and Kamchatka, you're you're living the life. <laughs> well if you haven't figured it out yet, we're talking about risk tonight. But before we get to that, I'll tell you to interact with the show on Twitter at two on three pod or hit us up via email at at two on three pod dot com. You know how much we love to hear from you. And you know we did get reader mail, Chris. We did. Or they're not it's not a reader. You know, no, nobody can read the podcast, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> listener mail. Listener mail. I love it. Um, our friend Matt, actually the uh, not the host of Reasons Are Several podcasts, but rather my former co-host for the very short-lived Midwest Coast Bias po- podcast from a few years ago, sent us an email in response to episode 49. And I the one thing I did want to share is that we didn't spend any time on it, but uh, if there was a national treasure themed porno, he was saying it'd be you know, national pleasure. Yeah, easy pickings. Yeah. Yeah. Low-hanging fruit, is that what you're saying? Yeah. Perfect, though. He did also make a comment that he had an infamous run-in trying to gourmet up SpaghettiOs, which is a concept you and I talked about as part of our restaurant uh, entrepreneurship a while back. <laughs> anyway, he said it went poorly. I don't know how it could go otherwise. There's really, there's really not a lot to... I mean, if you're working with that as your base ingredient, I just don't know how you, I don't know how you gourmet that up. You There's really not... just, you can't have to upset the sodium balance that's already been achieved. <laughs> <laughs> right. You could add, you could try to add like better meat to it. Right. Maybe some meatballs. Yeah. Or like some homemade meatballs to SpaghettiOs, but I think you're not doing anyone any, you're not doing yourself any favors. No, I think that's what we were talking about with the restaurant is that you needed to sort of be able to recreate the disgusting processed like mouthfeel with gourmet ingredients. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's got, God bless them for trying though. Exactly. And that's what we're talking about tonight. Taking risks, taking them, making them, avoiding them, and when to go all in. We're going to SWAT analyze life itself, I tell you. In segment one, we'll talk about taking risks to get out from under the jackboot of the boomer generation. <laughs> segment two, the contract or gig economy and the risks of non-traditional employment. And in segment three, we're going to talk about lifestyle risks, a cost-benefit analysis on a micro scale. In the OT, we'll clean ourselves up and ask you to do the same. Before, before we get into the topics tonight, I have a question for you as be, has become my want at the start of the podcast. You bet. I want to ask you about holiday cards. I have a couple of questions. One, do sure. you guys still send one out? The answer is no. So when we were younger and a younger married couple, mm-hmm. we did New Year cards. Okay. And that went on actually for a while. And then at some point it just became a thing where it's like, okay, we, we're not going to send it. It's just – it was – I appreciate the people who send uh-huh. the little yearly recap – Oh, you like the letter, the weird letter? I do. I like the weird letter. I love the weird letter. I I appreciate that quite a bit. Um, And and maybe, I mean, if you follow people on Facebook, you sometimes don't need a yearly recap. Delete your Facebook. But the (laughs) hashtag, delete your Facebook. um, But I do like it. I do like the, I I like getting that. For some odd reason, it just, it harkens back to an old time when people used to write you letters, but nobody writes letters anymore. So it's nice to get that, um, but mostly the variety we get are the sort of the hand, the hand noted, shutterfly type sure. card. Yeah. And we used to send one of those every year, and at some point it just got to the point where you know you miss it one year, and then yeah. the next year you come back around, and you're like, I, we're not, yeah, we're done. That's yeah, like what happens to me when I miss an episode of the podcast. <laughs> I feel like I really got to drag myself back into it. I love doing it too, but it's the same thing. It's like, oh well, I had a week off and. I can't. I can't start again. Jim, same thing. Yeah, it's all about it's all about habit. It's all about getting getting it done early and getting it out there. And but I know, but so I but I know over the years when you stop sending the holiday card to people, you fall off their lists, right? Right. Because people just generally take whatever holiday cards they had the year before, 
and then put those people back on the list and then the next year when they make their list they send out to the people who sent them uh-huh. cards now granted um some people are some people have continued to send us cards and thank you I think they're great. I love getting them, uh, even though we don't send holiday cards anymore. But I also totally understand how we've fallen off people's lists. I, I get it. Right. But I'm, I'm not hurt by the fact that I've fallen off. Uh, if, I, if, if any of our listeners used to send us a card but never got a card from us in the last 10 years and I've fallen off your list, I completely get it. I'm not, I'm not bent out of shape about it, even remotely. Well, I was expecting you to have a more traditional take. So, unfortunately, my queued up contrarianism isn't really going to hit as hard here because oh, yeah? yeah my whole thing and it has been for years is that i don't want a card ever like really if the kids make a card or something sure because then it's like okay yeah you made me something i appreciate the effort but like i don't want a bunch of cards you, you just it's just garbage you're giving me four dollar garbage <laughs> <laughs> you don't want you don't want just a picture of the family or a picture of the dogs or whatever a picture of the kids. I mean, I'm okay with the, the holiday card. It's a little different because I do like the pictures. Although we do have uh, you know one set of friends that like sends us real photos. Like it's a it's a it's a card with like that you open it up and instead of you know a five dollar bill from your grandmother, it's like real photos of their children. Like prints of like yeah like photo prints. And I'm like, wait, this is very strange to me. It feels like it's 1998 every time I open this. And I think it's just a ploy for them to keep their card out of the bin from from the envelope. They're trying to they're trying to put an interview. You got to can't throw this away. This is real photo paper with a real picture. Right. Now we we stack our cards up on the shelf right there by the dinner table and everyone gets it that's prominently displayed and you know, so you're getting you're getting a good value from your card if you send it to the Villasenor household. I mean, sure. now we put it up. We put you're up. getting displayed. I see your cards. I appreciate your cards. It's just that we don't send cards. Yeah, we it's, we've. I think this might be the first year that we haven't done it. So this might be it for us. <laughs> <laughs> might be the last year. Yep. Whoa. Yeah, that's why it's a uh, high uh, high on top of mind. The last thing I wanted to say about this was that uh, so I started a, re- a new job in, in 2018 and. Um, our senior leader on the team sent Christmas cards to everyone on the team. Nice gesture. Yeah. Uh, it looks like he conscripted his wife to handwrite all the envelopes. <laughs> I feel bad for her. I don't know how many she did, but there's at least 30 people on our team. So I'm guessing at least that many, probably yeah, more, probably more. Um, and the funny thing to me about it was that I live in a town in Washington called Bothell, bot hell, B O T H E L L. I don't know if it's a Freudian slip or where she was transcribing it from, but she put an R in it. So it's brothel. Oh, brothel. (laughs) (laughs) I like it better. I live in brothel. Yeah. I like to think that maybe he was dictating so she could move more quickly and she just didn't question it. Oh, brothel. All right. (laughs) (laughs) I'll just write that down. (laughs) He's like, no, two L's, two L's. (laughs) Two L's. Two L's and brothel. (laughs) All right. Well, that's enough prologue pre-logging. Well, anyway, let me last last bit on that. The yeah. uh, um, the senior manager uh, on our team uh, gave us all homemade salsa. Did you say where the tamales at? <laughs> <laughs> you get, do we get chips? You're just gonna give us. You're just gonna give us salsa. Look, if you're gonna give me Mexican food for Christmas, it better be handmade tamales. <laughs> That's the only acceptable. Because I'm excited about that. <laughs> On all, by all counts, um, he does it every year, and it's delicious. So I haven't yet to open mine, but uh, I'll report back as soon as I do. But everyone you do a says live taste delicious. test. You need to go get it. <laughs> <laughs> I don't have any chips. <laughs> Wait, you just don't have ch- tortilla chips like in your have, house? No, there are none. <laughs> I don't know. I can't. I you're like it. a regular nacho eater. I I am, but I just for some odd reason we're just out. All right. All right. Well, topic one, we're going to talk about trying to get rich. So it's significantly harder for the generation. Well, I, let me let me take a step back before I start blaming the boomers right off the bat. <laughs> we'll get there. We'll get there eventually. <laughs> uh, I've come to a recent realization. Now, we do fairly well and fairly comfortable and, and have achieved a fair amount in life, especially considering that I didn't really come up for much. I think I've mentioned that on the show too, too many times to count at this point. Um, but having worked through a financial plan in detail in the last couple of years and having, needing to make some changes recently, I, I came to the what's now seems like a very obvious realization that although we are fairly high on the ladder as it comes to in relation to poverty, the distance between us and poverty in like me and Bill Gates 
<laughs> right? It's like well, I'm way closer to. Well, let's not Bill Gates. I don't even like a, a baseball player. You know, somebody who makes sure. a few million dollars a year. Sure. The the distance between me on the ladder and like that baseball player is is a hundred times larger than like the distance between me and like a homeless person. Right. And the more I think about like the different opportunities I've had in my life to make money, the more I've become convinced that timing is uh, like the, the one thing you cannot control that makes it nearly impossible for you to actually get rich. Like you, pe- there's probably a thousand people who have had a thousand ideas that didn't hit the market at the right time. And actually, we're going to talk about one of them in segment two when we talk about the gig economy. But I'll bring that up in a minute point is that I have been living on savings to take advantage of a investment opportunity in the short term. And it is a small potatoes thing. I don't want anybody who listens to the show to get the wrong idea about how much money we're talking about. Uh, But, you know, yet significant. And I'm lucky to be able to do this. And it really just has to do with the fact that we refinanced our house to pay off some home improvement debt. And I was able to hold on to the cash because the debt wasn't due immediately. And then the opportunity arose in that intervening period. So I just happened to have this cash that I didn't quite yet need to spend. Sure. Um, so I was able to say, okay, well, I'll hold, hold this back and fund my regular pay so I can take more money out of my regular pay to fund this investment opportunity. Anyway, it's stressful as hell to like, I mean, it's not a lot of money, but it's just this idea that I look at because the way the investment opportunity works, it's a direct draw from my paycheck. And so it significantly impacts like my take home pay. Right. And I think that, and to your point that, that being closer to poverty than you are to Bill Gates (laughs) (laughs) is, I mean, it makes sense because, because when you reach out like this or where you stretch yourself financially like this in order to realize some gain on the other side of it, you know, you stretch it thin and all of a sudden you can see down through it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and when you look downward, you don't, you don't see a lot of space, right? You don't right. see a lot of, it's like you're, you know, people like us are a little closer to the bottom than we are to the top in terms of that kind of, if you look at it that way, yeah. I mean, it's more of a pyramid, but you understand there's, there's many more people who make what we make across, you know, right. to our, to our left and to our right. And, uh, but I understand what you're saying. I mean, there's, there's a type of risk aversion. If you're, if you're risk averse, you wouldn't do it. But if you, if you have a little bit of that in you to be able to, to not gamble, but to say, okay, I see an opportunity here to make, to turn $1 into five, mm-hmm. then, you know, that can be very, that can, you know, it takes a certain type of person to be able to take that into their gut and go forward with it. Yeah, and I think because it has some level of guarantee to it in the sense that it is a stock-oriented investment opportunity that has some level of guaranteed return, uh, it makes it a little easier to stomach the idea that it might not be as you know, impactful long-term as I want it to be from a you know, size and volume perspective of the investment, but it, is, it will be meaningful. But I already had to refinance that piece of debt that I didn't pay off with the cash and I funded with to fund this investment. So I'm, I'm just this whole thing where no one ever really teaches you how to float money and to ever have any opportunity to get rich. You just have to like go to school for it specifically um, or read a book. And I guess I have dealt with people in the past who ha- are wealthy and they sort of their attitude about money is so disconnected from reality um, that they don't seem to understand why not rich people can't just become rich. Like it's sort of this attitude that why can't you just do what I did? But I don't think those opportunities are as uh, readily available as they once were. I think that you used to be able to at least build some level of wealth by properly managing your money. If you had like a promising career. I don't, I don't know if the, I don't know if the truly rich people ever get rich that way. Like, no, no, you can't be a compiler and get rich. There's just no way to do it. It's like, so I think if you're a dual income like this household and you you do a good job of saving, you do all the things they tell you, pay yourself first, mm-hmm. you know, all that investment stuff, you'll do fine. But you won't ever get you'll never reach the you'll never reach, you know, the fuck you money stage. Right. Unless you unless you have it in your gut to go for it. I mean, I I know a number of serial entrepreneurs and you'll know that they've succeeded and then they failed and then they mm-hmm. succeeded and they've fallen flat on their ass. And if you're not built to fall flat on your ass and, ba- and bounce back up, 
you're not going to be an entrepreneur. <laughs> you have to be a little bit, you just have to be a little bit, I don't know, on the spectrum maybe. I don't there's like a there's like a weird I don't care. Like I can get all my money into this business or into this opportunity and if it doesn't work out, I'll be okay because I'll figure out something else to do. I'll figure out a way to make this money later. Yeah. I, I don't I'm not built that way personally. I'm not like these people who take on millions of dollars in debt like and they're just like, oh, "I'll just deal with it." Yeah. Yeah. And God bless them because I think, you know, we need those people in the world and and you'll see people crash out on the regular and not to say that, you know, Donald Trump's a bad example, but there are people who are in those industries who crap out. Yeah. And then they, and then they, they use their contacts. They figure out a way to get back in the game and then they, they build it all back up again. And then they, and then, you know, you know, somebody who can come from nothing, make, $25 25 million dollars and then push 23 and a half million of those dollars into <laughs> into something else and crap out and then come back and do it again. I mean that's just I mean, I'm just not built like that and I but I can appreciate the people who are cuz um I've met a number of those people and yeah, they're a little crazy. But you know, they don't they're not they're not built the same way that perhaps you and I might be. At least certainly I'm not built that way. I could I it would freak me out. I mean, I can't even be late to the airport, let alone you know, let alone push all my, you know, all my wealth or whatever you might want to call it wealth. I don't even know if you'd like to call it that, but to push all my chips in, especially at this time of my life. I mean, pushing all your chips in when you're 30 is completely different than pushing all your chips in when you're 50. It's just, mm-hmm. you know, at this point, it's it's like I think I'm tracking. I just don't want to screw it up at this point. I just want to get I just want to get to, quote unquote, the finish line and, and see where I you know, see where I get. Well, I've been lamenting for years that I was just born a few years too late. Um, so I'm not quite a millennial, according to the definition. I'm a little too old, which is fine with me. But I graduated from college, the, and then the economy fell out. Like, just And, and I was, was you know, going to work in technology. Then the economy sure. fell out. Had to get steady work, so kind of started down that path. Um, at that time, lived with a roommate who came from a family who had money, and who was just like starting a new business every year. And that was just what he was doing. And I just felt like I didn't know what it was like to have feel the freedom to feel like I could just extend myself and extend myself, especially when I was borrowing money to go to college in the you know, from the get go. And then this keeps happening where then I find another, another job a few years down the road where I have a a pretty solid opportunity to take advantage of their stock program. And then the bottom falls out of the economy. And I have all these debts and the stock isn't worth very much, but I have a fair amount of it. Right. So I have to sell some of it off to clear some debt. And then, you know, five years later, we're into a pretty solid economic recovery from a stock market perspective and shares that I sold for, you know, $30 are now worth $130. And so I, I've calculated how much money I left on the table at, at that time. Sure. It's a significant amount of money. <laughs> and it's not it's it's not a good number. Yeah, anything that goes up a hundred bucks, I don't care how much how much stock you sold, yeah, it's a lot of money. You've you've uh yeah, especially uh again, if you're dealing with you know, this is the other the other the other part of it is if you're making more than thirty two thousand dollars right. it puts you in right. the top one percent of people in the world. Like thirty two thousand American dollars. So it's a funny scale. It's like but in America, I understand. There's if you're if you're living a a quote unquote middle to upper middle class lifestyle. Well, and it's happening again because now I'm in this great opportunity to take advantage of again of a stock program that, uh, for a company that's on the rise. And I got dipshit president in office, like tanking the goddamn stock market. And this investment was looking at one point during the high point of the summer. I know the president doesn't have as much to do with the stock market as everybody says. I understand this. That's not the point. I don't think that the, the volatility on Wall Street would be occurring if we didn't have such unpredictability in government. Sure. Un- uncertainty is the, the, the market hates uncertainty. It's world's sure. smallest violin. Don't get me wrong. But I had this money invested and it was looking at one point like it was going to be a triple up. And it was like not even a double when it came down to it at the end of the period. So I was still able to invest or to cash in enough of the investment to fund the, the, the continued investment. And that's the important part. But I was just, of course this is happening again. Yeah. Well, and then, you know, that's, that's the sort of the short term and long term game of it. Right. If you're, if you're not right for the most part, people who aren't close to retirement, it really doesn't matter what the market does, you know, until you get close. I feel bad for, you know, 
considering the big hits we've taken. I, I always think of, like, recently retired people. Like, if I retired six months ago and think, oh, you know, everything's been really strong, and then to have the market correct all the way out for the year and be, like, even Steven for the year, you just feel like, I mean, you must feel... I know I would. I would feel like I got kicked in the gut pretty hard. I'd be like, oh, God dang it. What's going on? Yeah, I can't imagine if this was something that I was like, oh, I finally got this opportunity to cash in here, and I was about to, like, end my career, and then I got this money taken out from under me, and I think I'd be probably apoplectic. Yeah. Oh, well, I mean, but that's a... But you're right. I mean, I think that... Just to go a little long here, what I feel like what Americans don't do that other people in the world do much better than we we do is that um, families tend to pool money better in foreign countries, especially poorer countries. Mm-hmm. I mean, you get you get generations of families living together. They tend to pool their money and get more out of it. You know, instead of paying for three houses, they pay for one. Right. I mean, these are the kinds of things that countries who who are less well off than we do do very well. And you know, those kind of strategies would work in America, but they absolutely go against how we Americans can see ourselves. You know, yeah. you don't want to live with your parents. Your parents don't want to live with you. Your ki- you know what I mean? We just don't do that culturally. We but, have a little bit of a, a dependence on independence. Right. But if you go to Asia, if you go to Central America, right. South everywhere, basically everywhere else in the world yeah. besides America, they do such a better job of, of growing family wealth and keeping family wealth together. Um, it's something perhaps we could learn from, but uh, but again, we don't. It just culturally just does not fly in America. It's not gonna, and I don't know if it ever will. But again, there are, there are certainly cultures who live here in America who who still work that way, and I think in a lot of ways, at least financially, they're much better off. Yeah, I mean, it's not all bad. I can say that the way the way we hit our timing for buying our house, even though we paid. Eh, I would say a reasonable price as the market started to soften in 2007, but before it bottomed out, you know, I had friends that bought houses for half what I paid, like, you know, 18 months later, but we did get like the world's last zero down jumbo loan. (laughs) 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 And that really, that, that kind of lending or borrowing power, it changes your life because now we have an asset that is worth ultimately more than what we borrowed. And we were able to parlay that into, you know, another, a second home and and take advantage of that. So there are ways to do it. You have to really, but the timing, I think that's what makes it so crazy is that we don't have, we, our country and the individualism doesn't offer the infrastructure of support in any meaningful way. And that means that if you miss your window, you might have missed your window forever. Yeah. And And that's, and that's just how American, that's just how American culture is. You're 18, go get yourself a job and go make it in the world. I don't know if that's, people romanticize that, but I just think it's a, I think from a, from a wealth building perspective, it's a terrible strategy. (laughs) Exactly. Speaking of, as we move into segment two, I want to talk a little bit about the gig economy and that shift toward contract employment, because when it comes to haves and have nots, I think that this is making things significantly worse. Now, the upside is of course that you can relocate very easily now because you can just go start if you have a car you have a job right for and, sure and i know you wanted to ask more on the lighter side um you saw that 7-eleven was offering delivery i know this is a few weeks old now but you had some thoughts <laughs> well my thought is who needs 7-eleven delivered <laughs> that's really what it comes down to i mean in my mind delivery of goods i mean i think we're, we're taking a, i mean the gig economy has changed this completely, but I understand getting food delivered from a restaurant or pizza delivered and all these other kinds of things. But it's what, what from Seven Eleven do I need delivered? <laughs> like, like, I need Pringles delivered. I mean, what the hell? I just, I, it comes down to, like, in my mind, there are things that are worth delivering and things that aren't worth delivering, and I can't think of anything that I need from Seven Eleven that I need delivered. That being said, people order these things from Amazon and whatever, and they come to your house. Mm-hmm. I get that. But for some odd reason, I have a huge mental disconnect of, call, of, of getting on my phone and saying, God, you know what I need? I need some beef jerky and a Slurpee and some Doritos. <laughs> and I need them in the next 15 minutes or th- whatever, 30 minutes from... Like how? What? Get your lazy ass up off the couch, drive down to the Seven Eleven, and get your own damn Seven Eleven. You need someone to deliver that to you? It's ridiculous. That's you sound like someone who has a wife and kids and is looking for an excuse to get out of the house. <laughs> <laughs> right. 
I have a feeling that if you didn't, if you were single, you'd have more sympathy for this need. And this actually goes back to my question about timing, because when you brought this up, um, I started thinking about all these different delivery services we have now and how they've expanded beyond food. I mean, there's at this point too many to count. I can't even name them all. Um, and they will at this point pretty much bring you anything. Like you could have the DoorDash or the Postmates guy or gal go to like Fred Meyer and buy you a box of screws. Like that's a thing you can have happen. And it's really not that much different than Prime now. But we did this once already. Remember? Right. Do you remember Cosmo.com? Yeah, but it didn't work because it didn't work because then because the gig economy now enables that whole thing because Cosmo had to handle all their own stuff, right? They had to buy trucks. They had to hire drivers. They had to do all this stuff. They had to provide the entire infrastructure for delivering this stuff. And financially, it just didn't make sense. But now that you've got this army of people in their cars already picking people up, doing other things, delivering Amazon, you know, whatever, now you've got this army of people that you can just say, well, let's just jump onto the back of the gig economy. They're already picking up. They're already picking up food from 7-Eleven, for God's sake. <laughs> Unless 7-Eleven will deliver smokes. So I'm pretty sure you can get alcohol delivered. There's ways to do this. Can you get cigarettes delivered? Well, I'm I know you can get sure. alcohol delivered from like the grocery delivery. They will bring you booze. Yeah, I, I, think, Amazon, I think Amazon will bring you booze as well. This, unless people are delivering cigarettes. Nowadays, it's possible to do it. Like, again, in 2000, when they had grocery dot com or mm-hmm. what all these other things where there was just it was just there was just too much financial burden on the company that you mean they had to like buy their employees health insurance yes <laughs> <laughs> basically but that's the but that's the, that's part of this whole contract employment piece i mean there's the there's this famous story about this woman who worked for eastman kodak mm-hmm. and she was a janitor and she was an employee of Eastman Kodak, mm. so she took advantage of um, continuing education and all these other benefits that you get as a full-time employee, and she was able to increase her skills, finish her degree, got a job in IT, and now she's like this, you know, the CTO of a major of a Fortune 500 company. Mm-hmm. Impossible to do today. Right. Because those employees, even the receptionists, are hired through contract services. I mean, there's, they're not, they're, they're, and the people who work full time who get these kinds of benefits generally don't need those kind of benefits. The people who need continuing education are the people who are working entry level jobs. But now all the entry level jobs are, are handled by contract services. Right. And the people who work for those contract services are essentially gig economy people. They just, they don't, they get paid. Do they get insurance? No, maybe. I don't know. If you're, a, if you're an Uber driver, could you, can you, get insurance through uber in any way shape or form i don't even know i have no idea i mean i would imagine they, there's some sort of a discounted cobra or something that they will offer you but i my guess would be no my guess would be you're on your own i mean i've had you know um a number of contract employees uh, throughout my career and their insurance was their problem you know yeah they a lot of times they got it through the agency if they were contracted that way Mm-hmm. Uh, the agency would provide that secondary coverage, but they were still essentially buying aftermarket insurance. The agency wasn't providing it for them or, you know, paying part of the uh, premiums. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's just corporate America. That's just corporate America finding ways to, again, control costs, to increase shareholder to get around value. regulations. And to get around regulations. But the, but it's allowed, right? I mean, these people are employed by somebody. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. I mean, like, as, uh, from a contract perspective. Yourself, though. I mean, if you you can incorporate yourself. And I'm guessing to be an Uber driver, you probably have to do that. Yeah, I'm, I doubt. I, <laughs> I've seen some of the Uber drivers who are, who've driven me around here and there. It's like, I'm not sure they're, I'm not sure they're savvy enough to be able to pull off anything. It's just know. a form. You just have to file the, um, what is it called? It's like a... Uh, I don't know. But do you think people are really min-maxing their Uber their uber status in order to like get the most out of it i doubt it <laughs> i th- i'm just but it sort of lends itself to say that we, we have this army of minimally employed or underemployed people but it allows companies like this to say okay let's let's on the backs of these people let's let's expand our ability to deliver to deliver food or those kinds of things i think the interesting lesson to learn from 
Uber outside of, you know, the loss leader problems they have is that it does seem to work like the, the sort of less regulated version of taxis. It you know, obviously the, the, the bad stories are really bad because the sure. vetting isn't great, but like far and away for the most part, it works and it's, it's very lightly regulated. And so I think that what it demonstrates is really need some forward thinking policies out of Washington on how to minimize or at least, you know, create sort of a free flowing regulatory environment for some of these types of um, quick turnaround type levels of employment. We need this like different class of, of employment that maybe isn't straight contractors with no protections, no regulations, but not as onerous as what is you know currently in place for standard kind of employment agreements right especially i mean when you're talking about people who are gig employed or underemployed um just their ability to deal with health insurance like health care right and that's just the that's the thing i worry about in these in this regard is you know when when are we going to have something that makes a little more sense overall that's health care from a healthcare perspective, because I think this might be the way things go. There's there's a lot of power in the gig economy, mm-hmm. right? For especially for people who, you know, nowadays you can go to school on, you could get a degree online and then work a gig economy and then and st- and probably do fine, and get yourself through school or get yourself to where you need to th- where you want to be, especially if you don't have the means to do it or 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 to maybe you don't want to take on so much student debt. You could still you can do a, there's a lot you can do. Um, it's just that I think I think I think that group of people needs maybe a little more support um, in terms of the things that really would smash your future, like yeah. healthcare. Healthcare health you know healthcare is just one of those things that in America can just crush you. Even if you're I mean, well it, off, it can ruin yeah, your life. And what I mean, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's if you if you if you zig when you should zag, or if you like in the five in the in the six months where you don't have proper coverage, if something something bad can happen and your whole life could be ruined, which doesn't seem right to me. It just, it seems like it's a, and I don't have any answers uh, entirely because, you know, it's not my, you know, it's not my area of expertise, but, but the risks are so high that, that, that something's got to be, I mean, I mean, there are big thinkers out there. Somebody's got to be able to, someone's got to have a good idea about this, right? Well, I mean, you would hope, but I, we can't even rely on Uber ratings to, to treat us right. <laughs> I mean, you know how like you get rated as a passenger? Yeah, I, don't, a, I never. <laughs> in addition to your yes. ability to rate the drivers? Yes. I have, by the way, I have the highest rating as a rider. I think I've only used it five or <laughs> five or six times. I, I've probably used Uber Less than a hundred times, but more than two dozen. Uh-huh. My rating's like four and three quarter stars. And I'm like, what? I've never like farted or swore or like <laughs> I've never done anything. Like what? what? Who's knocking me down? And like, right. do, I need to know how to, I, I, there's not enough information about how the rating versus tipping works too. It's when they added tipping to the app. Um, but like I had an Uber ride recently down in Southern California. And, you know, whenever the driver's coming, I always look at their rating because I just kind of want to know what I'm in for. And yeah. this driver had like a 4.9 rating. And I'm like, oh, okay, cool. So she shows up. First of all, she doesn't have any accoutrement. Like if you're if you're nearly five rated, I expect you at least have water. I never take it. But if you, you know, mm-hmm. have it, have a power cord. You need to have some power cords in your car. Like that's sure. just it. You got to have it. Um, she didn't have any of this. She had loud Christian music on the stereo. <laughs> um she was new to the city that we were in. So she didn't know how to get around anywhere. Nearly crashed the car at one point to the point where I audibly said, Jesus Christ. <laughs> <laughs> Over the top of the Christian music. You said Jesus. Christ. Yes. Yes. Oh, very good. It wasn't Seems even and to be clear. It wasn't Christmas music. No, I said Christian. music. No, I know. I know. I wasn't correcting you. I want to make sure the listeners understand. It wasn't like she was just had some Christmas music on. It was the Christian rock station. Got it. And, you know, honestly, I felt bad. Her, her existing good rating influenced me. And the best I could do was just ignore the prompt to rate her and leave her no tip. And I felt like this was the best thing I could offer. It's like, you know what? You did a terrible job, but I'm not going to negatively impact you. But I'm also not going to give you any additional money. And I felt like that was actually the right neutral thing to do. <laughs> <laughs> seems, seems fair. I mean, you didn't have a good experience. And it's a customer-driven thing so i hear you 
The last thing I want to say, and I know we're well over time on this, though, is I just wanted to mention that I saw today a story about Philip Lindsay, who is the running back for the Denver Broncos. And it was like this very inspiring story about how he wasn't recruited out of high school. And then because uh, he tore his knee, um, his senior year in high school, tore his ACL, went to Colorado, became their all time leader in all purpose yardage, didn't get drafted in the NFL. And now won the starting job in Denver after about three to four weeks over, I want to say Royce Freeman was maybe a second round pick who had like one of the great all time, great college rushing careers. And my point is, since NFL players are essentially gig economy workers because they're un- they, they have collective bargaining, but they they don't have guaranteed contracts and they don't have guaranteed sure. health insurance. So for the, for our purposes, they're essentially not any different than an Uber driver who carries a football. It's the only sports is the only place where the abject failure of the people whose job it is to actually evaluate, identify, evaluate, and put talent in a position to succeed is spun as a personal story of achievement. <laughs> We're right. all terrible at this. But you made us see the, the error of our ways. Great job. <laughs> right. <laughs> You're excellent, and nobody in our organization realized you were. Not a lot of faith in the system, that kind of thing. <laughs> like, I just looking at this, and I'm like, eh, what? he's awesome, and nobody knew it. That's not good for him. That's what's going on with you guys. <laughs> right. <laughs> like, <laughs> yes. The triumph of the human spirit. No, really, it's the failure of your organization in general not to be able to pick the best talent out of a sport that you know, you get, you're supposed to be an expert at. That's exactly right, Joe. <laughs> well, <laughs> by the way, by the way, my children say this around the house now because I say it so much. They do say it. You're absolutely right, Joe. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> my kids are all little Troy Aikmans. It's hilarious. Makes me laugh every time. Mind you, not great, Bob. This <laughs> <laughs> is a Mad Men reference for those of you who don't know. <laughs> Not great, Bob. <laughs> um, so, speaking of people who take their livelihood into their own hands, I want to talk in our third segment about sort of lifestyle risks. This is kind of a mixed bag of risk management, but the first one that came to mind for me is in the Christmas holiday season we're in right now, the Porch Pirate Risk Reward System. <laughs> like, it really seems like a lot of risk for, like, really not... Like, the payoff is... It, it, dicey at best i order a lot of weird shit and if you stole stuff off my porch you're gonna get a lot of things that aren't really resellable right it's a bit of a, porch pirating is certainly the grabbiest of grab bags right <laughs> it's not like you're gonna pick a 1200 dollars laptop every day right right you're gonna pick somebody's gummy bears or you're gonna pick somebody's you know toilet trees <laughs> you know what like you know, I don't know, feminine products. I don't, whatever you're ordering, you're right. Because yeah. I order, you know, your basic household items. I mean, you're going to abscond with my dish soap. I mean, whatever. I don't, it doesn't make any sense. But obviously the criminal element, it must pay off somewhere because people do it. Right. And you don't have to be on next door for more than two seconds to see that someone says, oh, somebody stole some shit off my porch. <laughs> it's like, all right. Well, I we have... Um some exterior cameras on our home, including the video doorbell. And I saw for the first time somebody posted to that. So there's this, there is a totally voluntary um, neighborhood network as part of that video doorbell system that you can like post, like you can put, you say, Hey, this person is in our neighborhood and stole shit off my porch. Um, Basically, you know, crowd crowdsourcing police work, Uh, Got it. you know, surveillance state, but Somebody posted a video tonight of somebody stealing their video doorbell. Like the person has the <laughs> screwdriver, <laughs> like and a mask, and they have the screwdriver, and they're, they're removing the doorbell off the house. That's a new low. I've never seen anything quite like it. And this person is like, they have what appears to be at least a thirty dollars headlamp on, a like a tech hoodie, and like a, a fancy face mask thing. Like they clearly don't need it. So this is some sort of. I, I'd be concerned that these people who got their doorbell taken are about to get robbed, like for right. real. Like thrill. You think it's more like thrill seeking? I mean, it was definitely a young person. And hey, I bet you twenty bucks you can't steal that person's ring doorbell. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, man, but it was something else. That's messed up. And I resonantly, one of the reasons I brought this up is because uh, yesterday there was a story that made his way around the internet. This YouTuber guy, Mark Rober, who works for um, NASA, and he worked on part of the Curiosity rover. So props for that, Mark. Um, spent what he says six months. So that's that's I don't know how long that really is, like how much time that is. He must have a day job, I would assume. 
Um, and I also don't know when you're a YouTuber. I know that these people can make lots and lots of money doing YouTubing. And he yeah. does like a, a minute-long commercial at the end of this video. But he built a self-contained, battery-powered, multi-camera glitter bomb that also is a stink bomb <laughs> for people yeah. to steal. Like, he dressed it up like a package, and then when they open the lid, it shoots glitter everywhere, which is hilarious. <laughs> and then it's got cameras all over it, because it's four phones that he rigged up as cameras. So it's it's rechargeable, and it has GPS. So when they ditch it, and that's why he put the stink spray in there, too, which, by the way, ingenious plan here. This yes. glitter is non-damaging, but super obnoxious. So and where you open this, it's getting everywhere. Anybody that opened it in their car, I laughed and laughed. Because that glitter's oh, in your yeah. car forever. <laughs> forever. That's permanent. <laughs> yeah. And I think he bought the finest glitter that he could find, too. I mean, just to make it super obnoxious. Yeah. And it's like each one was a pound of glitter. Each, each explosion. <laughs> it's pretty good. The, the videos are pretty amazing. And it's a, it's a very attractive box. It's in an Apple HomePod box. So it's definitely like, steal me. I'm worth hundreds of dollars. Uh -huh. um, the video is excellent, but one of the things that came to my mind is this is just another example of this guy who's got the time and the resources to spend the like time doing this, then being able to put this really good video on YouTube, turn it into subscriber and sponsorship money. Yeah. And it just, the cycle begins again. You have the resources, you use the resources to make more money. He's making entertainment. I mean, this is, I mean, this, <laughs> this is, this is, this is, this is the reason that that people like, again, you and I, you know, this is the difference between being okay and well off and being rich is the, the scalability factor. Like, this is what happens. You, this is why athletes and entertainers are all rich, the successful ones, because they have, they have scale. You know, if you sell a million records, that's <laughs> that's a decent amount of scale. If you go on tour and you know you play in front of hundreds, if not millions, of people on a on a rock tour, that's that that goes in your pocket, you know. So God bless this guy for for making essentially a high functioning prank. <laughs> it's awesome. It's and turning it into something viral that again is going to come back to him and be and be scalable. I mean, it's just. It's good for him. That's it's the only way again to make a whole shitload of money. I mean that's uh and yeah, and if you're and if you're doing it right, you get to you you'll find a way to repeat it. I have a lot of questions about the set that he used to like videotape the narration parts because it's the world's cleanest workbench. Like I mean <laughs> the, the wood itself has no marks on it. So you've <laughs> never that's never seen work. <laughs> he's a NASA he's a NASA engineer, man. He's I think he's particular. I you think, think that's, so? Oh, yeah. I think I got that. I definitely got that. Uh, he's particular. And what's funny is the people who steal his shit and he gets on film, those people are not particular. <laughs> just, it's like, what the fuck? Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, I don't think he sent the police after any of these people no. or whatever. But you know he has their addresses. You know he has their faces. Yeah. I mean... And he's just, he's definitely going to let him off the hook just because it's just too hilarious. Yeah, and I, I appreciated that he uh, he labeled the box uh, sent by Kevin McAllister. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Good. Uh, sidebar, uh, Google. Google put out an ad saw today that. starring adult Macaulay Culkin, who honestly doesn't look a lot different than childhood Macaulay Culkin. It's kind of so unsettling. <laughs> it's a little weird, but okay. But uh, apparently Kevin McAllister's still living at home. I don't really know what happened to his life, but uh, oh well. Not looking good. <laughs> it's not looking good for Macaulay Culkin or Kevin McAllister, to be honest with you. I don't know. That was a nice house. His parents probably died and left it to him, and pretty soon the property taxes will get him and he'll have to move well, out. Well, didn't he have like 18 brothers and sisters? I mean... It was a big family. A, he's the one getting the house? I don't know. He's a, maybe he's a little bit of a... They all felt bad for Kevin. They kept leaving him at home alone. That's the only place he could probably function. It's like, I can't go out on the world. I, I think he had four siblings. Because my, my recollection is they were four, counting 14, and that included four adults. Oh, yeah. So they must have been 10 know. kids. And I'm going to assume five <laughs> of them were. Anyway, it's important that we break down home alone. Sure. Sure. Um, you also included on our risks, uh, unnecessary risk-taking topic this monk that was murdered by a leopard. <laughs> Listen. 
if you get attacked and killed by a wild animal, that you're not, you're not being murdered. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think that counts as murder. You don't know what was in the leopard's heart. <laughs> Lunch was in the leopard's heart. Okay, so here's the story. This this monk decides to go communing with nature. India, in, in India. In India. Yeah. He decides to walk a mile or so into a forest preserve, a protected forest preserve, to commune with nature. And after sitting down and st- beginning to meditate, is attacked and killed by a leopard. <laughs> I don't feel bad for... I don't feel bad. Because, listen, if you're going to go out and commune with nature uh-huh. in a place like in a forest preserve in India where I don't know how many people are killed by tigers every year, but it's a lot. Uh-huh. And you get attacked and killed by... Le- that's, that's on you, dude. Yeah, what are you sorry. doing walking out into the woods where there's <laughs> like you know there's wild animals? I lived in Alaska. When we walked out into the woods where I knew there were bears, I had a gun. Right. All the time. Like we never. No, I didn't ever like go out sometimes without the gun. Like it's like, oh, I'm going out on this hiking trail. I'm taking the gun because you'd be insane not to. Yes, I'd have some chance. I, I assume <laughs> this. I assume this monk is from India. <laughs> it didn't say he was from, you know, Connecticut. I mean, it's like I understand <laughs> if maybe I'm new in town. Yeah. And I decide, oh, I'm just going to take a walk in this lovely forest preserve and commune with nature and maybe sit down and put myself into a meditative state where some prowling animal can jump on me and rip my jugular out. This is, this is whatever. But the, my favorite part is now the, now the people are going to go into this forest preserve and hunt this leopard down and, like, kill it. I'm like, they're gonna relo- the they said le- they're going to re- relocate it. Don't read. Don't, leave that leopard alone. I agree. Didn't do it's his wrong. house. It's just if lunch, if someone left a sandwich on my desk at work, and I sat down and I looked at the sandwich, I said, "Oh, uh, this must be for me." And I ate the sandwich. And then somebody came around later and said, "Hey, did you see my sandwich? I'm like, what sandwich? The one you left? There was a sandwich on my desk. Well, that was my sandwich. No, it's not. <laughs> That's my. This is my desk. That's my sandwich." So what Same I thought, thing. <laughs> <laughs> this monk. The leopard's like, that's my sandwich. Right. You brought it out here. You brought it out here. You sat down. You obviously wanted me to eat you. Picnic. <laughs> I don't even have to work that hard. It just like fell into my lap. It's my lucky day. There is uh, a sort of hilarious, well, not hilariously, but no end to these how far you can click through about like big cat attacks in India. Like you click on this one story and then there's a link to another one, which is a link to another one and a link to another one. And like eight of the world's 10 fastest growing cities are in India. So this is not going to decrease in frequency. Well, unless you kill all the cats. Oh, you mean like they did in California with the bears? <laughs> right. You gotta get rid of these bears, man. Yeah. These bears are, I mean, what do you think these cats are going to do? I mean, even your house cat's looking at you like it wants to rip out your jugular. Now imagine one that's 250 pounds. <laughs> yeah. it, wants, it wants a piece of you bad. I read an article today for work that talked about learning mechanisms, and it talked about it, it, was, it had contribution, academic contribution from some Indian studies and was clearly had some contributions from some Indian writers because one of the examples was given about memory was that your brain isn't actively telling you to remember that... Uh, Tigers are dangerous when you're running away from the local tiger is what this story <laughs> says. Like the local tiger. <laughs> and it's true, right? It's like, yeah, man, you know, we got this village and Shere Khan comes by every once in a while. You better hide your kids. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Don't stray too far. Right. Don't go alone. There's safety in numbers. This is the <laughs> apparently this guy learned none of it. Apparently in monk school, they don't teach you these basic, these basic things. <laughs> well, uh, in the OT, as we head into it, we had uh, one unnecessary risk I want to mention. Entertainment Weekly put out a first look for live-action Aladdin, starring Will Smith as the genie, and uh, it's not great, Bob. <laughs> <laughs> You're absolutely right, Joe. The, it's so bad. It's you know, it makes Kazam look like a, a, a film worth watching. Like I'd rather see Shaquille O'Neal as the as this genie than fucking Will Smith. This I'm photograph sorry. 
these hideous. and these heinous. This cover, like you can covers get weird on magazines, but then I clicked through to the gallery. It's not better. No, it does not. It, it gets. It does not get better. And here's the problem. Here's the problem with live action Aladdin. Animated Aladdin is arguably the two most attractive Disney characters that have been drawn in this whole Mencken era. Mm -hmm. Like in terms of Aladdin and Jasmine, they are the two most attractive, I think they're the two most attractive cartoon characters in the, in the Disney princess universe. All right. These two, while okay, okay, they're, they sort of fit the bill. Just uh, don't cut it for me. I'm sorry. I mean, I'm just going to go watch anime. There's no possible way this live action one is better than the better than the animated version. There's it's there's no chance of it being better. I mean, I think I saw live action Cinderella. Mm-hmm. I thought it was pretty well done. Mm-hmm. I like I liked it just fine. I thought Beauty and the Beast was kind of a wash. I like the animated one better. Uh because I just don't think the beast looks very good as a as a sort of a CGI stuffed head. Yeah, I didn't really enjoy it. I, I started and immediately not paying attention when we were watching it. Started looking and at my if, phone and stuff. Yeah, <laughs> and if anybody thinks that Will Smith's going to put in a performance that is even remotely in the same league as Robin Williams's genie performance, you're crazy. You're out of your mind. It's not going to happen. There's no way. Chances are zero. Well, and the genie works because he's a cartoon character. Because I, I feel like as a live action human, it's like kind of like minstrels, minstrelsy. How do you well, say? It? How's, what's the word? <laughs> I don't. I don't know what you're getting at. It feels insensitive, <laughs> right? Like, so the because you think of the genie character, and then you if, when I put a, a black man in the role of that genie doing the things that the genie does, sort of the overact. He's the only person in the movie who's going buck the whole time. Yes, and so if that's the black character, that feels yeah minstrelsy. That's the word I'm looking for. <laughs> but the uh, and you know he's gonna sh- he's gonna change shapes. He's gonna do all these things in a CGI way. Sure. That it aren't going to be as satisfying as it was is in a you know animated way. Yeah. The other thing about Aladdin is, and I've said this for years and years, that it should be called Aladdin: colon, We'd all be dead if it wasn't for Magic Carpet. Magic Carpet is the enti- is the hero of this fucking story. He's if without him, the whole Aladdin dies in the Cave of Wonders without him. He dies in the frozen tundra without him. This is a Magic Carpet movie. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. It go. It's it's over right away if they don't find the magic carpet in the cave of wonders. Yeah, yeah. you're dead. Well, Jafar wasn't even to get the lamp. This plan was really flawed. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, it's a. I, I'm just telling you, it's magic carpet. Magic carpet is the hero of the story, and I'm and I won't hear anything else about it. Really. It's true. The other thing I want to talk about in the OT was we've talked a few weeks ago. We closed the show on a story about not washing your hands. Um, subsequently, I kind of been very tuned into that, um, <laughs> and I've noticed it. You know, when when guys aren't doing it, and I've complained about it publicly on Twitter. <laughs> it's part of the part of the deal. I'm public shaming. I'm not taking pictures of people yet, um, but something brought it to mind for me recently because I was at uh, a gathering in the an evening gathering where there was catering, and part of the appetizers was the dish of holiday nuts, and I'm looking at that, and there's. 30 people in this room i'm like there's a lot of trust because like there for the nuts there weren't like a, there was no real way for you to serve yourself there wasn't a spoon or anything It was just a big dish of nuts which is not an uncommon thing in people's homes either sure and from what i gather i'm not putting my hands in that thing because i don't trust anyone first of all and i think i said this the last time that the human body is adapted to deal with a decent amount of germs and whatnot but we put our parties are where we throw all this stuff away like bowls of chips yeah bowls of nuts (laughs) hand foods the veggie tray i mean come on people people i'm pretty particular about the veggie tray i don't even touch the one i I try to be cool you know right touch the thing you're gonna eat when you go when you go to parties we put a lot of trust into this system of basic cleanliness like we 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 you just have to assume that everybody there's a decent or trying to be a decent human being and then you just got to go forward with your life there are like there's a few places where 
I'll allow it as far as like not hand washing. Like if you're at the stadium and you're not, there's no door to the bathroom and you're only going to touch your stuff and you're probably not going to touch the toilet and you're going to go back and all you're going to touch later on is like your own shit and money maybe. And like a dirty beer can that you're about to put on your face anyway. Like who knows where a beer can has been by the way. We all do the handrail at the at the stadium. I don't touch anything, bro. <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't touch the handrail. Like, no, nah, I'd be falling down before I'm touching that handrail. <laughs> that okay, but my point is that I'm not gonna like crucify you if you piss at the stadium and you don't wash your hands. It's not great, but whatever. I understand. When you're at the arena sports for the children's soccer, wash your motherfucking hands. <laughs> Like, this old man is in the bathroom with me, and just, I, and then again, uh, so this is just like the story I told before, I finish up, and I'm washing my hands, and he's done, and then he just bolts, bolts. and I was, and I walked out behind him, and I, I'm at the point now where I'm, like, making comments to people, like, not, not like, to them, but, like, in their vicinity, yeah. um, <laughs> I just go, like, really, like, it, audibly, I'm only about three feet behind him, like, really? Gross. <laughs> he didn't acknowledge me or anything, but whatever. He subconsciously knew that I was talking about him. Uh-huh. And this happened again recently. I was at a meeting a coworker um, at an office building, actually the building that you and I both used to work at in downtown Bellevue. And we were meeting in the lobby uh, to do some business in there. There's a nice Wi-Fi network and a Starbucks and a restaurant and every other thing you could need. So it was a good meeting spot. Yeah. Um, an older gentleman. This is it's always older dudes that don't wash their hands, by the way. I don't know what this generation is, these guys that don't feel like they need to wash their hands. This older gentleman, once again, comes into the bathroom with me. Same deal. I'm washing, he bails. And I'm like, mm-hmm. gross. Like, all right, so I gotta, you know, I paper towel the door, like I usually do anyway, but follow him out. He is at one of the other tables where I'm not sitting, but then he migrates over to where we are, like four seats away. Because there's power, there's like waist high power in the table we're at. He sets up his laptop and his phone and everything else. And like, then walks away from it, first of all. And I immediately wanted to be like, oh, I just want to pack up your shit and hide it from you. <laughs> like, while you're gone, I just want to pack it up and hide. Cause this why, would, why would you touch his stuff? Oh, I'm not going. This is the way he, he's, so he's, <laughs> he's protecting himself with his wall of disgusting germs. Um, then, he, then he comes back, unlo- opens his computer, unlocks it. And then walks away again. And now I'm like, oh, my God, I really want to just hide your phone. I just want to take your phone. But the phone is the most disgusting thing. So I didn't. Right. Um, and then I started talking to the, the colleague I was with in definitely loud enough terms for him to hear me. And I was like, you know, the soap in the bathroom here. Normally, I don't like fragrant soap, but it's really nice. <laughs> like, <laughs> here, smell my hands. <laughs> And again, this guy doesn't acknowledge it at all. And I don't know. He seemed pretty oblivious. But then like his buddy shows up and they go to shake hands. And I just think of mortified face and shake no! my head real fast. Like, don't do it. <laughs> so the bottom line is people like consider the circumstances. If you're in a place where it's you're not going to touch anything else. And, and, and it, it, basically the stadium is the only place everywhere else. You need to wash your fucking hands. <laughs> my job requires me to handle other people's technology mm. on a regular basis oh, and I would feel and I feel like I would be doing a horrible disservice to people if I didn't wash my hands. I mean the, good lord. I mean they've entrusted me with their technology. I mean last thing I wanted jeez, can you imagine what kind of person you'd have to be to like handle like handle other people's technology without washing your hands? I do with your own stuff, whatever. I don't know, man. Have you seen the people's laptops? I they, oh, I know a lot about I? you. I know a lot about you when I see your I, laptop for the first I could, time. I could generally shake half a lunch out of most people's oh, laptops. God, people. Man. <laughs> we live with our technology so closely these days. Yeah. It's like, Jesus, like, did you spill the whole bowl of soup in this thing? You know what, what I do is I clean it every single time. If I accidentally get food on it, I just clean it right then. Like right, right when it happens. Did you try to stuff the whole Jimmy John sandwich into your keyboard? Is that what happened here? Because it's like, were you the kid that fed the VCR oatmeal? Like, <laughs> what's your problem? <laughs> All righty. Well, that's it for you for 2018. This is a it's a it's a show wrap for you for 2018. We might that's it. We might have an episode come out next week. We talked about being off for Christmas, but I might have too much time on my hands and might need to record a pod. So. <laughs> 
which is fine. I'll be in uh, lovely Las Vegas gambling away my, my family's uh, uh, acquired wealth. Well, if you want to do any, uh, any monologues while you're gone, you can just send me the audio files and I'll pump them into the show <laughs> if I release one next week. All right. Sounds good. All right. Well, that's our show. And thanks to all of you for listening to the two on three pod. Please know we appreciate tremendously the time you choose to spend with us, spend with us each week. If you don't already, please subscribe and or give us a review on iTunes, Google Play, or Stitcher. And don't be shy about sharing your thoughts and suggestions for the show. We'll be back in 2019. At least Chris and I will be, and we'll see what happens next week. But until then, peace. peace.